Good morning. Can you hear me? Now? Testing, testing. There we go, a little bit louder. Well, um, sometimes I think they should put the sermon at the beginning of the service. It feels like you've already expended all your energy or you kind of, you know, you start high and then the energy level goes down and I'm not for that. I didn't prepare a sermon for people to sleep through it, right? <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to stand up, stand up if you're able to. I know standing up, ah, oh, it's so difficult. I was getting so comfortable where I am now. And just put your hands up in the air, put your hands up in there, take a deep breath. Ah, doesn't it feel good to breathe? Feel good to breathe. And then give yourself a little, like, like a little, like, love tap, you know, like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Thank you so very much. You know, I wish that we were, you could sit down, I wish we were in some of those countries in Africa where the deacons are really deacons in those countries. They have sticks and they poke people who fall asleep in church, you know? I mean, I wouldn't do that here, but I mean, we could use like spray bottles or something like that, you know, something a little bit more genteel as it is. Thank you so much for coming to University Church. It's good to be in the house of God, isn't it? We, you are blessed beyond what you know by just coming to this service. Angels are with us. The Holy Spirit is with us and you will grow. I believe you will grow if you not only hear, but apply what you hear to your life. Today's sermon is called God's Little Garden. What's it called? God's Little Garden. God's Little Garden. Let's begin with a short prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your spirit, your presence, for your enlightenment as we go through your word today. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today we're talking about God's Little Garden. You know, God has a variety, I mean a variety of ways to communicate his purposes and love towards us in the Bible. Sometimes he just speaks plainly, right? Thus says the Lord, and boom, there it is plainly. But other times he speaks through parables, and in other places he even uses songs to communicate to us. That's why I found Isaiah chapter 5 which was part of our Bible reading plan for this past week. And then you have, if you haven't gotten the new Bible reading plan, it's right there in the foyer in that small table, a beautiful Bible reading plan printed just for you. Isaiah chapter 5 really caught my attention because I never knew that the prophet Isaiah was a singer. Have you guys ever been caught offhand knowing someone's a singer? I know I have. You know, being a pastor of a church, sometimes uh, you think you know the talents of your people. But every once in a while, especially in this church, because there's about four pianos scattered all throughout the church, you just accidentally walk into a room and someone's playing the piano and singing their heart out. You're just like, oh, excuse me. And then you look at them. You're like, I never knew you had the talent of singing. And you could see it. There you got this look of, I've been caught. Now he's going to ask me to do special music, right? <laughs> and so when I was... Thinking of Isaiah, I never thought of Isaiah as a singer. You don't think of Isaiah as someone who, you know, gets up there and does special music. But apparently in, in chapter 5 of the book of Isaiah, there is a song that he sings. I call it the prophetic parable song. And what is the theme of this song? I mean, if you were to write a song from your heart, what would that song be about? Well, for me, I think right now... In my life, I would write about my children, my two little daughters, the great joy in my life. You know, there's a lot of themes you could write about a song about. So what do you think the great prophetic 
parable song is all about. It is a great topic of gardening. Well, that's kind of a letdown, right? <laughs> I mean, who writes a song about gardening? But that's exactly what Isaiah is writing about. Isaiah is writing a song about the Lord's vineyard. The Lord's what? Vineyard. The Lord's what? Vineyard. Thank you, Lord. They're still with me. Amen. Now, gardening... The theme of gardening and vineyards runs all throughout the Bible. You find it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because gardening teaches us many spiritual lessons and Jesus communicated a lot of spiritual lessons through nature. Some even go as far as to say that you won't understand certain spiritual truths unless you garden. Do you fall in that category, by the way? Do you, do you, do you say uh, those who garden are on a, on a different spiritual level? What do you think? All right, don't raise your hand. One day I was talking to a uh, Filipino pastor who had just moved to the United States to pastor uh, in the United States. And I was asking him, I was curious, what is the biggest difference between pastoring in the Philippines and pastoring in the United States? He thought about it and he said, the biggest difference, he says, is the pay. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, I could understand that. You must earn a lot more here than you did in the Philippines. He said, no, 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 I don't mean that. I mean when we receive our pay. He said, here in the United States, every end of the month, I just check my bank account and there's the money from my paycheck. Not in the Philippines, he said, because in the Philippines, at least in his conference, the president had put a new policy that every pastor had to have a garden. A what? A garden. And so every end of the month, before they receive their paycheck, the conference would send someone down from the conference to the pastor's house to check if he had a garden. And he didn't receive a paycheck if he didn't have a garden or if his plants were dying. And so he said, in the Philippines, no garden, no money. Here in the U.S., good. No garden, no problem. <laughs> but the truth remains that in... in Gardening does teach some spiritual lessons, doesn't it? You do discover some truths about it. it. It reveals beauty about God and his creation that maybe we did not know before. So let's dive into this song and hear what God is trying to tell us through nature. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. Stick with me as we go through verses 1 through 7. It says, now let me sing. Now this is Isaiah talking, right? He's saying, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Who's his well-beloved, by the way? Who's he dedicating this song to? He's dedicating it to God, right? So he said, let me sing this song to God about God and his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up cleared out the stones, and planted it with a choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it. Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? 
And now please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. It shall be burned and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. There it is. What a beautiful song. Never heard a song like this before, but there it is. Isaiah chapter 5, the Lord in his vineyard. The song started off good, right? It's like, oh, this beautiful garden, this well-protected garden, this garden on a choice hill with no rocks. But then it kind of took a little turn for the worse because it did not produce. And the question is asked, what more could I have done for you? You know, God has made himself a garden or a vineyard on this earth three times in the Bible. Three times in the Bible, you see that God has planted and is expected fruits. You know, I grew up in California where the winters are awesome. How many of you have been to California in the winter? Anybody? Some of you escaped Michigan to go to California in the winters. And the interesting thing about winter in California is that everything is green in the winters of California. That's where the trees and the leaves are green. That's when the grass is green. That's when the flowers are blooming. That's when the vineyards are producing. It is beautiful in the winter in California. But in the summer in California, everything's brown. Everything's dead. There is no leaves. There's no grass. It's, it's scarce. It looks dead. Now, it's interesting because when I came here to Michigan, it's the opposite. In the summer, as we are now, it's beautiful. Everything's green. Everything's blooming. And everything's nice. Now, in the winter, what happens? It turns to, like, summer in California. Everything dies. Everything's brown. Everything's gloomy, right? And so that's why I appreciate it so much as I drive down the street, a couple blocks up by Patriarch Park, there is a house there that every summer has the most beautiful flower collection. I mean, I drive by coming to the church almost every day, and I almost stop there, and I look at that house, and I just smile. Because there's pink flowers, there's white flowers, there's purple flowers, there's this size flowers, there's that size flowers. It is a wonderful and beautiful house. They really put the effort and energy into making it look beautiful. But when I drive by in the winter, it's the complete opposite. It's dead. There's nothing there. And I miss the beautiful flowers of that house. So every year when those flowers come up, I always thought to myself a question, not knowing much about gardening, how do those beautiful flowers and plants survive in the winter? I mean, I barely survive five minutes out in the winter. How do these plants survive all winter out there? And I always thought to myself, wow, those plants, those flowers, those roses are resilient. They could survive in, in zero degree weather. But this last spring, I was driving by. And I saw a woman down on her knees, you know, hands and knees, in the dirt. And she had all these trays 
of beautiful flowers already in bloom from Home Depot. And she was planting them into the ground. And I realized that every spring, she plants new flowers there. I said, wow, that's a hard work, but I appreciate it. God has planted not once on this earth. God has not planted twice on this earth. God has planted three times a garden on this earth, and he has sought forth fruits from that garden. So when was the first time that God planted on this earth? We go all the way to the very first vineyard, which was the world before the flood. Yes, the world before the flood. The Bible tells us that man was placed in the world which God saw that was very good. It was very what? Good. Isaiah chapter 5 says it was planted on a good hill, on a, a hill that produces fruits. And man was given great powers. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 that man was given dominion over the beasts and was commanded to increase and multiply and replenish the earth and to subdue it. Also in Genesis chapter 6 verse 3, God gave his spirit because it says that the spirit strove with man in the earth before the flood. And God chastened him and warned him and through his conscience spoke to him, God planted a garden before the flood. And he gave it everything that was necessary for it to bloom and be beautiful and produce fruits. But then he produced a second garden because the first garden didn't produce. And which one was the second garden that he planted? The Bible tells us that the second vineyard was the people of Israel. The nation of Israel was the one that Isaiah in chapter 5 is singing about. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 to 9, tells us how he planted them. He says to them, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valley and hills, a land of, going back one, sorry, a land of, there we go, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Does this sound like a place that you're willing to live in? Uh, would, you, would you say, Lord, don't worry, you put me here, good things are going to happen, right? Uh, the next verse continues saying, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack, how much? Nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. I mean, this place sounds like God left nothing out of it. Some of you have bought houses before, and whenever you buy your first house, it's always a difficult experience. Because you come in looking at Zillow, you look at all these houses you've been looking online, and you have this idea of the perfect house, but then you come to the reality of what's in your wallet, right? What you can afford. And you always have to make concessions, right? Well, you know, I can't afford this, but can we at least get this in the house? But not with the land that God gave Israel. He gave them all of it. He gave them everything that they needed. He didn't live anything out. And he planted them there in order for that vineyard, the second vineyard, to produce something. God could say honestly, as he said in Isaiah chapter 5, that there's nothing more I could have done 
for you. He planted the choicest vine stalks, the children of Abraham. It says that he cast out the stones by casting out those wicked nations from before them. He built a tower, the city of Jerusalem, and he made a wine press, the temple in the midst of them. What more could he have done for the second garden that he planted? But yet, that garden also did not produce. That vineyard did not produce the fruit that he was expecting, and so he decided to plant a third garden, a third vineyard, which is called the Christian Church. And the Christian church includes a small, beautiful, rare plant called you. Called what? Called me. Say it. Called me. He has planted that third and final garden called the Christian church. And in some corner, in some place in that vineyard, he has planted you. And even though his first garden didn't produce, even though the second garden vineyard didn't produce, he is sure that this garden will produce because because he has given you everything that you need to produce. Do you believe that? Do you feel that you are lacking anything from God? Do you feel that he is holding anything back from you? The Bible says In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 4, what more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? And he could say that honestly to you. There is nothing I have held back from you. The people before the flood in the nation of Israel could say the same. I have held nothing back from you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 tells us, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is going to be no stone that crushes you there. There's going to be no temptation that could crush you because God always makes a way of escape. The garden also had a wall of protection around it. And the Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encaps all around those who fear him and delivers them and delivers them. I'm glad that I don't have to pay for secret service. I'm glad that I don't have to hire my own personal bodyguards because God is loaning me some angels to watch over me. When Satan came to harm Job, he said, I can't do anything because there is a a hedge around him. He has planted you and he has protected you with a fence of protection. He has gotten rid of stones around you. God has provided everything you need to blossom, to bloom, to produce beautiful fruits. And the Lord also has built a tower in that garden. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 10 tells us the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. So when you consider all the blessings, all the provisions, all the divine appointments that God has showered you with, the attention, the protection, the grace, the goodness, you come to an inescapable conclusion. You matter more to him than you think. You matter more to him than you you think. I mean, men in Michigan are obsessed. let Let me rephrase that. 
Retired men in Michigan are obsessed with their grass and their gardens and their houses. I mean, my neighbors are out there every other day cutting their grass, doing something in, in the garden. But if you want to see the most obsessed gardener in the universe, it is God. And he is looking at you, his little plants that he has given everything to. And he's saying, what do they need? Wow, they need, they need more grace. They need more mercy. Maybe they need more of, of kindness from this person. He's providing everything you need to grow and become the person that he wants you to be. And he's already been through one garden. He's already been through two gardens. But he has hope that this third garden and you, this plant in this garden, will make a difference. Because he has showered you with blessings. He has given you the radiance of his son, Jesus Christ. And he has filled you with his Holy Spirit. You matter more to him than you think. There was, um, how do you help people grow? There's two methods, or two ways, or two schools. Sometimes people think that in order for people to grow and to change, they need to have a little encouragement with the rod or the hand. Anybody been, been raised that way? You know, some manual changing, you know? We just do some manual changing of behavior. That's how I was with my father who grew up in, uh, in Peru. Whenever he show up late to school, they would uh, take them out back and, and, and they would beat them. And then they would have them on their knees on the rocks until they bled so they would never forget to be on time for school. I'm not sure. Can we do that for Sabbath school? Not, is that something possible? No, maybe not, right? We can't force the hand. And there was, a, there was a school where they had this philosophy that whenever the children misbehave, the school in England, they would take them out back and they had that one poplar stick, right? That stick they hung on the wall, and the children would, would get it. And the children would stiffen themselves up, and they would receive those blows, and they would go, and they would have an exterior change. They would try to behave out of fear. But let me tell you, that only works so, for so long, doesn't it? That only works for so long. I've only gotten spanked twice in my life. Once was when I was 10 or 9, and the other time is when I was 18, my dad tried to spank me. I said, it was too late by then, right? Too late. It's not going to have an effect. A new teacher came to that school, and she said, I'm going to try a different method. I'm going to try a different method. I'm going to try to change the way they behave by love, by love. I'm going to pour something into them different. And so the children at first were on their best behaviors, but you know, the, the inner person roars up and they start breaking the rules. They start breaking the rules and they were looking at that stick on the wall. Is it going to come down? She talks a good talk, but what's going to happen? So the teacher asked the student to stay after class. He stiffened his body. He ready for the blows. But instead she came and hugged him and said, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Do you love me? Do you love me? And he thought about it. She had baked cookies for them. She had been really patient with teaching them their lessons. She had smiled at them. She had said good morning with cheer and goodbye with sadness as they left her class every day. She had done her best. And he realized in his heart that, yeah, he did love his teacher. And he said, yes. And he said, 
She said, I have been praying for you and this whole class, and I love you. And if you love me, can you find it in your heart not to break the rules of this class anymore? That class was perfectly behaved for the rest of the year. Not because of a rod, but because an avalanche of love caused them to react in a different way. And God has given you the Niagara Falls of love and grace in your life, whether you know it or recognize it or not, and it should produce change. It should produce change in character, in holiness, in sanctification, because you are his beautiful plant in his vineyard, and he has done everything for you to produce fruits. Are you producing fruits? Are you producing change? Are people seeing something in you that is different? Because God has been working hard, so hard, so that people could see Jesus in you. You know, the deeper the love, the greater the disappointment. Do you guys agree? The deeper the love, the greater the disappointments. And the world before the flood, that first garden, really hurt the heart of God. He looked upon the earth in Genesis chapter 6, verse 12. And what did he see when he looked upon the earth? The Bible tells us in Genesis 6, 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. The earth was corrupt before him. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. The earth was full of violence. The vineyard that should have brought forth grapes brought forth wild grapes. Now, sometimes we don't understand that term, but uh, in those times, they had this wild grape that looked like the real grape growing wildly or growing around the lands. And the, the difference was not only did it taste bitter, but it actually was poisonous. So here you could be collecting what you think is grapes, making yourself a nice drink, and then you drink it, and instead of taking... You know, new wine, you're drinking poison. Would that come to a shock to you? It would be a major shock for someone who has spent all their energy in planting something that's supposed to produce delicious new wine to receive poison instead. And so God was hurt because he had great love. Thus, he had great disappointments in that first garden. So he planted a new garden, and the Bible says that that second garden was a nation of Israel, and maybe this garden is going to produce something good. Maybe this garden is going to be different, because he pours in so much more. He gives them their, his law. He gives them their sanctuary. He leads them out of Egypt. He takes them to this good land. But Matthew chapter 21 tells us the result in another parable by Jesus, when he says that the owner of the vineyard leased the land to some farmers. And when the time of harvest came, he sent his servants. And what did they do to those servants? They beat them up and they killed them. God sent his prophets to the nation of Israel. And what did they do with them? They rejected them. They hurt them and they killed them. But the owner of the vineyard said, if they will not listen to my servants, maybe they will listen to who? My son. So his last act of giving it all to that garden 
And to those farmers, he sent his son. And when they saw the son, they said, if we kill him, we will receive the inheritance. And they killed the son. When God looked down upon the nation of Israel, who was not producing fruit, instead of saying, let's get rid of this garden, he said, let me give it everything I've got. Let me send my son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ arrived, did they accept him? They killed him. And they did not produce the fruit that they were supposed to produce. And so God called the Christian church out of that nation of Israel. And now he has come to you. And he has great love for you. But great love sometimes can lead to great disappointment or to great joy. And the Bible tells us that he has poured it all, all upon you to be a fruit-producing vineyard. You know, when a foster parent takes in a foster child, has anybody ever taken in foster children before? I grew up probably from 15 years of age to 22, 23. My parents took in sort of like foster children with, uh, with some mental disabilities too. And what's interesting is that when you take a foster child in, the first thing you usually do is they come in with these old shoes, this old shirt, old pants, dirty clothes, and you just take all the clothes that they came in with, and you just throw it away, and you take them to the store, and you buy them brand new shoes, you buy them brand new pants, you buy them brand new shirts. I mean, they look good. You usually come looking malnourished. They're skinny, you know, they don't look healthy, and so you feed them, and you feed them good. You feed them home-cooked meals. And what else do you do? You take them to the doctor. You give them medicine. You, you show them love. You, you give them their own room. You give them their own closets. You come in and you say goodnight to them. And my parents would come in and pray with them and read the Bible to them. But you know what? How do the foster children respond? Do you know how they respond? They scream. They get mad. They have tantrums. They call you bad words. Because they find this kind of love almost disturbing. It's almost like too much for them. It's like they're not used to that love. And some of them we were able to break through, and they stopped struggling. They stopped screaming. They stopped calling us bad names. They stopped trying to run away, and they submitted to the love and the change that they had, and they became completely different people. Some of them have lived with my mom almost 10, 15 years. But it always broke my parents' hearts when they would do all this for a foster child, and the foster child would not stop fighting and struggling against them. So finally, they had to move to another house. And I find that that's the condition of many Christians today. You are his plant in his vineyard, and he has given everything for you to grow. But sometimes that love, we react bad against it. We push back. We scream. We shout. And the only thing he's seeking of us is to submit to his love. 
so that we may be, that we may be changed, so that he could produce something beautiful in us, so that he can produce fruit that is a blessing to the whole world. There was a man in the eastern part of the United States in West Texas, uh, and one day he was uh, driving a host through the blistering, barren stretch of a farm that he owned when suddenly a large, bright-colored bird seemed to appear out of nowhere and run across them in the road. The eastern man had never seen such a beautiful bird, and he asked, what kind of bird is that? And the farmer in that barren Texas land said, that's a bird of paradise. That's a what? A bird of paradise. The easterner looked around, seeing nothing but tumbleweed and sky as far as any eye could see, he said, he's a pretty long way from home, isn't he? He's a pretty long way from home. And that's my hope and desire for you, that in this barren land of sin, in this land of troubles and heartaches, God is working to make you a beautiful vine so that people will look at you and say, she's a far away from home, isn't she? He's a far away from home, isn't he? Because your home isn't here. Your home is in where? In heaven. A beautiful quote in Christ's Object Lessons, verse 298 says this, Christ hungers to receive from his vineyard the fruit of holiness and unselfishness. He looks for the principles of love and goodness. Not all the beauty of art can bear comparison with the beauty of temper and character to be revealed in those who are Christ representatives. There is a beauty that can flow out of you. And that beauty is the beauty of Christ's character in you. And no flower, no plant, no rose, no grape can compare to that beauty. And God has given everything you need to produce that character. And he's coming soon to collect, to harvest, and to take you to be with him at his house. Because he's going to say, that beautiful flower, that beautiful fruit doesn't belong here. That beautiful vine belongs in my heavenly, heavenly garden. And the only thing that's left for God to do, because he's done everything for you to blossom, is just to cheer you on. And that's all this pastor's doing, really. Go, 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 grow, 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 grow. In the Special Olympics, there is an assigned hugger to every Special Olympic athletes. And it doesn't matter what competition, doesn't matter what lane, it doesn't matter what place they arrive in. At the end of every race, there's a sign hugger. And as they cross the line for whatever sport, that person reaches out, hugs them with all their might, and says, good job, well done, I love you. And after all that God has given you, for you to grow in his image, the only thing left for him to do on a daily basis is just say, good job, 
keep running the race. Keep going forward. Keep growing in sanctification. I love you. I love you. And even though you didn't produce in the past, I won't give up. Because that first garden, even though it didn't produce, they could have still gotten in the ark. And even though the nation of Israel didn't produce, they could have all still joined the Christian church. And even though you didn't produce yesterday, go, 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 grow. Because I'm here to cheer you on. And I love you. And I'm your biggest cheerleader. Isn't that overwhelming? That love overwhelms. So leave this place and sin no more. Not because of the rod, but because of God's overwhelming grace in your life. Grow, produce, and change the world. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the master gardener and that you have placed us with so much blessings to grow in your image. But we need your encouragement in these last days to continue moving forward. Be our cheerleader. Be our sun. Be our rain. Overwhelm us so we may follow you out of love. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen and amen.